Hello, everyone, and welcome again to Hidden Truths. And today we have Bob Baron, who is going to speak about what just happened. We know the rate hike by the Fed again. He's going to talk about the third quarter GDP and a few other things. Hi, Bob. How's everything going? Every day is a challenge. You get up every day. It's awesome to come to work because it's always different. You never know what's going to happen. That's right. We live in very interesting times. Yes. So- so the third quarter GDP number came out last week. It was about plus 2.6%. You've been saying that we are in a recession. Doesn't a positive GDP number mean we are not in a recession, Bob? I would say that the only saving grace of the GDP number was the headline of plus 2.6%. As it turns out, the net exports part of GDP added 2.8 percentage points of the 2.6, and it, and it was up for the wrong reasons, which I'll get to. If you exclude the net exports, which are imports minus exports, the domestic economy growth was minus 0.2%. We are in a recession. The country still has a large a negative balance of trade. And when I talk about net exports, into the GDP report, it is the change in net exports that is recorded. Exports rose and imports fell. Exports rose because the dollar was very strong. And the dollar was very strong because the Fed is hiking interest rates faster than anybody else's central bank in the whole world. And imports fell. Now, what does that tell you about the U.S. consumer? If imports fell, it means they're consuming less and companies are importing less. All of the wrong reasons that we had a positive GDP. And as I said, the the recession continues. Now, if we actually look at the real big part of the economy, which is consumption, final sales to private domestic purchasers were less than 0.1% at an annual rate in the third quarter. And if we go back and look at the second quarter, it was plus a half a percent. In the first quarter, it was plus 2% or more. And in the fourth quarter of last year, it was more than 2.5%. So if we look at the chart and look at the black bars, that's the final sales to domestic purchasers. That's consumption. And if you look on the right-hand side, very far right-hand side, you barely perceptible is a little black line. So as you can see, if you follow the black bars, we've been deteriorating over the last year. For sure, big difference. Now, if we look at what's going on inside of GDP, services held up the best, okay? And for example, vacation spending rose 6.3%. Wow, that's a big number. Why did that happen? For the last two years, there's been pent-up demand. Everybody stayed home because of COVID. And so it was pent-up demand related. And I believe that we've now exhausted that pent-up demand because winter is coming, okay? And people don't travel much in the winter. And by the time we reach next summer, I don't think we're going to see that kind of growth in vacation spending. So the services were strong. The purchases of goods were very weak with durable goods falling almost 1%. That's an annual rate. And they had fallen almost 3% in the second quarter. So that's two quarters in a row of big negative GDP for goods and for durable goods. For non-durable goods, 
they fell at a 1.4% annual rate in the third quarter, down in the first quarter, second quarter, and now down again in the third quarter. So lest anybody succumb to the narrative that the positive GDP print means a recession has been avoided, you should know that it isn't uncommon to have positive GDP quarter within a recession. And if you look at the table, you can see that in the recession of 08, there was a positive 2.3% quarter sandwiched in between a minus 1.6 and a minus 2.1. And in recession of 2001, that was the dot-com bubble bursting. Again, we had a positive GDP quarter sandwiched in between two negatives. Yeah, I mean, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had uh, its best month since uh, 1976 in October, right? But yes. that was not true for the SAP 500 or the NASDAQ. And so why aren't the major indexes all on the same page? Yeah, they're not on the same page. A week ago Friday, that would be October 28th, a week before that. The Fed leaked to the news media, to the Wall Street Journal, that they were thinking about, quote, stepping down rate hikes. And then the Commerce Department told us that GDP grew at an annual rate of 2.6% on Thursday. So on Thursday, on the Friday before, on the 21st, and then on the 27th, we had supposedly very good news. The market doesn't at first distinguish much what happened in the GDP. They have since but not when it's first reported. Everybody just does everything simultaneously or on a whim. And so the immediate action of the commentators was that we had a positive GDP. The Fed has leaked that it's not going to raise interest rates as fast. So everybody was happy and therefore the market rose. So the Dow Jones rose 750 points the day of the Fed leak. And then it continued to rise the next week, 417 points on the Monday and 337 points on the Tuesday. And then on Friday, the 28th, it rose 829 points when the GDP was reported. So the total points added since Thursday, October 20th, through the, the end of the week ended uh, October 28th, was 2,529 points. That's 8.3%. And that was huge in just six trading days. Over that time span, the S&P 500 only rose 6.4 and the NASDAQ, almost only half of what the Dow did, 4.6. So those indexes weren't nearly as robust. So if you look at the table and look at the right-hand column, it's apparent that the Dow in the small cap Russell significantly outperformed the NASDAQ and the S&P. The reason is technology stocks. The Dow has a technology weight of less than 20%. The NASDAQ is almost 50%. And the S&P is 27. In the last week of October, despite the big market rally going on in the Dow, several of the NASDAQ and the S&P's highly weighted technology holdings, they disappointed. I'm talking about Google, Facebook, Microsoft. Okay. And then Amazon, another highly weighted NASDAQ stock, also disappointed. So we have to wonder, how bright is the immediate future when the country's major growth sector isn't growing? That's a big problem. And we've seen that since last week, we've had a couple of negative down days. The media generally just talks about the Dow. 
but the vast majority of investor portfolios have a whole bunch of tech stocks in them. And as a result, if clients look at their portfolios, they're going to say, hey, the Dow went up eight, but I didn't. And that's because they have the growth sectors, supposed growth sectors, more highly concentrated than the Dow. And that's the reason why the Dow outperformed the NASDAQ and the S&P. That makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way. Thank you. Yeah. So the Fed raised rates several times this year, including three quarters of a percent on Wednesday. I just happened again. Are they going to continue to raise? And what does that mean for us? Yeah, the Fed raised rates 75 basis points. That's three quarters of a percentage point. And rates are now uh, for Fed funds. That's the banks borrowing reserves from each other or from the Fed in the 4% range. The neutral rate is 2.5%. What's the neutral rate? That's the theoretical interest rate where the Fed is neither helping or hurting the economy. They're well now above the neutral rate and things are what we call tight. Monetary policy is tight. The Fed does two things in its meeting. It has the meeting and puts out a statement and then it has a press conference. So when the statement came out and before the press conference, the equity market was really happy and it rallied and so did the bond market. And that was because in the Fed statement, the written statement, they said that in the future, they will be taking into account, and I quote here, the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity. So this is the first time that the Fed has acknowledged that what they've done in the past takes a while to get through into the economy. So the interest rate hikes that they've had all year are now just starting to impact the economy. And it's the first acknowledgement of that. And that implies that the future rate hikes won't be very large and that we may actually be approaching the end of rate hikes altogether. Again, as I said, the financial markets rallied on that news. But that's not what the Fed wants. Okay, They have this new policy of openness. So when they talk, the market reacts. In the past, before 2012, they never, ever talked. None of them ever talked. And so we didn't really know what the Fed was thinking. Now we know. So if the Fed says to the market, we're now thinking about slowing interest rates or pausing or even lowering them, the market's going to say, hey, things are going to get easier because the market immediately reprices to what the Fed is thinking. The Fed doesn't want that to happen. They want policy to be tight. And the statement came out, the market rallied, and then Powell had his press conference. And at the press conference, he was very hawkish. And he said that, and I quote here, the ultimate level of interest rates will be higher than we previously thought. And with that, the market tanked. Okay, because now the statement said something, but Powell said the opposite. So they accomplished what they wanted to. They told the market that they're going to slow down the rate hikes, and they prevented the market from easing. That's exactly what they wanted to do. So I think it was brilliant. Yeah, you mentioned several times in the past, uh, you talked about the Fed transparency not always being positive. This is exactly what's happening here. You say that the rising interest rates have a negative impact on the economy. To date, have rising interest rates had an impact? Yeah, the most interest sensitive sector of the economy is housing. 
and it's really had an impact there. And the reason is that rising interest rates means much higher mortgage payments. So it's harder for people to buy the houses because they can't afford them. But just take an example, a $500,000 home with an 80% loan, which is typical. So that's a $400,000 loan. If we go back to the end of last year, the mortgage rate was 3% on a 30-year fixed rate. So payment is $1,686. Today, rates are over seven, used 7.15. And that payment is $1,054 higher. That's 63% higher. As a result, mortgage purchase applications continue to fall. They were down almost 1% last week. And they're down 41% year over year. That's huge. And it's no wonder because the interest rates have risen so fast. Refi applications. These are applications for people who live in a home just to refinance it. Okay. They're down 85% year over year. Okay. This isn't surprising, at least to me. Anybody who has a 3% mortgage isn't going to voluntarily give up the 3% mortgage for a 7% mortgage, just because they want to put a swimming pool in or go on vacation. So it could be that if they actually want to do that swimming pool, they'll they'll figure out another way to borrow the money and not have to have their whole mortgage at 7%. So, you know, that's what's going on in the purchasing world of, of purchasing of homes. But what about the builders? So the builders build new houses and try to sell them. Those new home sales were down 11% in September and 18% year over year. And if we get rid of the speculative sales, these are sales to intermediaries, people who aren't going to occupy them, and only look at the end users, the owner occupiers, down almost 20% in September. And in September, if you look at the builders themselves, their sales were down over 30% from the July levels, and they were already weak in July. In the existing home market, these are houses that have been around for a while, there's something called pending home sales. These are new contracts that are signed and they haven't completed, they haven't closed. Just the new contracts that were signed in the month. They're off 10% in September and they're down 31% year over year. If we look at the GDP numbers, and in the GDP, we find something called residential investment, that's housing. It was down 26% at an annual rate. And non-residential construction, that's commercial buildings, et cetera, it was down 15%. And it has been down now six quarters in a row. It's the lowest level it's been in 11 years. We look north to Canada. We see that their housing market is a little ahead of ours. Their home prices have already gone down 17% from their peaks in February, and those price falls are accelerating. So I don't think the U.S. can be too far behind. If we look at our home price indexes, the most famous one is called the Case-Shiller Home Price Index. It fell 1.3% in August. That's the latest data that we have. And it fell in July 0.7%. August was the steepest one-month decline since the Great Recession, March of 2009. Okay. And the Federal Housing Finance Agency also has a home price index. August, again, there is the latest data, and it was down almost 1%. And its three-month annual rate of change is almost negative 5%. 
So that was August. That's the latest data we have for the price indexes. We're now in November. The downward price trends by all other indicators have accelerated. So housing is the most interest sensitive sector. And I think that November, October, September and October numbers, which we'll get in November and December, will show uh, much faster price falls than we've seen so far. Yeah, if you rather than wait until rates drop again to invest in homes again, that would make a lot of sense. Oh, that's not going to happen for a while. Yeah. What other indicators do you have that tell you that the economy is in a recession? So each of the regional Federal Reserve banks, or at least five of them, has a survey that they do every single month. The numbers for October were much worse than September. This is called the Purchasing Manager Surveys. If you look at the table, you'll see that each of those five Federal Reserve banks showed negative numbers, and every one except Philadelphia was worse than the month before, and Philadelphia was just marginally better, but still deeply negative. These are telling us that that the businesses aren't doing well in these regions. On the positive side, there is a positive to all this. The inflation metrics were positive. What are the inflation metrics? So these purchasing manager surveys measure things like backlogs, and supplier delivery delays, how long it takes from when you order to get the goods you ordered. All of those backlogs have fallen, which means there's not as much demand and the supplier delivery delays have fallen. And they're all back to where they were pre-COVID, which means much of the supply shocks that we saw during COVID have now gone away. And that's good news for inflation. Consumer traffic, this is a funny one, consumer traffic at fast food outlets. This is a really reliable indicator of a recession, down almost 7% in August. That's the latest data that we have, and I'm sure we're going to see lower numbers in September and October. And that's down four months in a row. So consumers simply aren't going to the fast food outlets as much because, one, they raise their prices, and two, they can't afford it. We've also seen that gasoline usage is down. It's down 3.7% on a year-over-year basis. And in September alone, on a month-over-month basis, it was down 5.9%. That's another indication that consumers simply aren't spending as much money because they're not buying gas because they're not going anywhere. Yeah. So Supply chains, you guys remember that the poster child of the supply chain issue was the backup in the California ports. There were pictures of all these ships anchored off of LA. Anybody who follows this will remember those pictures vividly. Early in the year, there were more than 100 ships at anchor waiting to be unloaded. That was a record high. Today, we're now at a record low. And if you look at the chart, you can see that we went from a high there in February to almost only a few ships at anchor off the LA and Long Beach ports. And that says a lot about recession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the trends definitely shifted very quickly here. Bob, can you sum all of this up for us and also give us some view of the economic horizon? How should people prepare here? And despite the positive number for GDP, when we look deeper, we can see that the recession has already begun and that critical parts of the economy, especially housing, continue to weaken. 
Now, as we talked earlier, the Fed met Tuesday and Wednesday, and they raised rates by 75 basis points, and that's what we expected. But it does appear, at least to us, that they're starting to approach the end of their rate hiking cycle. When that will be, I don't know. Critical will be the report tomorrow, November the 4th, on jobs. We've already seen weakening trends in the underlying employment data, like we've seen a large rise in part-time jobs and, and the growth in people holding more than one job. So the way the BLS counts things is if you lose your full-time job and get two part-time jobs, that's a plus one because they count part-time the same as full-time. Oh, yeah. not, not very wise as far as trying to figure out how strong employment is, but that's the way they do it. So given what we see in the economic tea leaves, we think the Fed's tightening cycle will end sooner than the markets believe. Now, that doesn't mean soon. It's just sooner than the markets believe. So we think that it'll they'll start to pivot sometime maybe middle of next year, maybe it's slightly earlier. It depends on what the data says. But we think inflation is going to fall faster than what the Fed and the markets believe because of what we see on the horizon. And we believe that the recession will be deeper and will deepen rapidly from here and be around longer than anybody currently anticipates. We think inflation will come down faster than they think. And we think that the recession will be deeper than anybody now sees. So in terms of portfolio management, people are going to have to revisit that portfolio. Is that something that you recommend in times like that? Yeah, there's various things that portfolio managers can do. They can go to cash. They can invest in treasury bills. Treasury bills will not yield 4.5%. That's not bad. And they can, they can help their clients by positioning their clients in what we call short positions. They can do that either directly or through ETFs. Okay, that's great advice. And again, everyone, this is exactly what Bob uh, does with his company. He helps people manage their money. But having someone like that is absolutely critical to make sure that you allow your money to grow or you prevent dramatic falls potentially. So thank you, Bob. That was great uh, information as usual. Appreciate it very much. Nice to be uh, talking about this. So everyone, remember to subscribe to the channel. If you subscribe, you'll get information directly into your inbox. You'll be informed right away when a new blog or a new podcast is released and a new video is released. Also visit the Hidden Truths that today where we publish our videos, our blogs on a weekly basis. Thank you again for watching and see you next time. 